from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig with details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans, and yet there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that reveals a little bit more about history every day. I'm Gabe Luzier, and today we're looking at the rise and fall of Charles Van Doren, an up-and-coming young educator who traded his good name for a shot at fame and fabulous prizes. The day was November 2nd, 1959. Charles Van Doren admitted that his winning streak on a popular TV quiz show had been rigged by the show's producers. He made his confession while testifying before a congressional committee in Washington, D.C. Van Doren had maintained his innocence for years amidst growing suspicions of game show cheating, and when Congress began investigating the scandal, he even offered to come testify in person. But when the committee took him up on that and issued a subpoena, the pressure of appearing before Congress caused Van Doren to crack and finally come clean. He admitted that during his 14 appearances on the quiz show 21, he had been told the questions he would be asked in advance. Van Doren, along with 17 other contestants, were subsequently convicted of lying to a grand jury and issued suspended sentences for the crime. His central role in that scandal later inspired the Robert Redford movie Quiz Show and shined a light on the staged nature of early TV competitions. By the mid-1950s, 
the exciting new medium of television had already begun attracting unprecedented investments from advertisers. One of the most notable sponsorships of the era came in 1955, when the Revlon Cosmetics Company agreed to sponsor the first primetime network quiz show, the $64,000 Question on CBS. That hefty investment paid off for Revlon, as over the next four years, the company's average net profit soared from $1.2 million all the way to $11 million. Pretty soon, other networks and advertisers were scrambling to replicate the success with their own TV quiz shows. When the format peaked in 1958, there were 24 different primetime quiz shows on the air, and one of the genre's most popular programs was 21. That NBC show was loosely based on the card game Blackjack and featured two contestants facing off in a trivia contest to see who could score 21 points. Each contestant was held in a soundproof isolation booth while the other contestant answered a series of questions of increasing difficulty. At the end of the two sessions, whoever was closest to 21 points was declared the winner. Prior to his appearance on 21, no one would have pegged 30-year-old Charles Van Doren as a breakout TV star. In fact, he didn't even own a television. He happened into the role, however, after bumping into TV producer Albert Friedman at a friend's house party. At the time, the producers of 21 were on the hunt for a way to boost the show's sagging ratings, and in Van Doren, Friedman saw the kind of charming, amiable winner who could recapture the public's interest. Van Doren wasn't in love with the idea at first, but after a friend who had appeared on a different game show told him of all the money to be made, he quickly changed his tune and applied to be a contestant. Once Van Doren was chosen for the show, he was made privy to one of the most wide-scale deceptions of his time. The winners of 21 were actually all chosen in advance. The contestants were given the questions and answers ahead of the show's broadcast, and were even coached on how to be more entertaining as they answered. Every gesture, stammer, and nervous tick was carefully choreographed to make it all seem like the contestants were truly grappling with off-the-cuff questions, when in reality, they already knew all the answers. To be clear, 21 hadn't started out as a rigged show, but it was turned into one in order to keep it on the air. Van Doren was uncomfortable with the idea of deceiving viewers, but Albert Friedman persuaded him to go along with the scam, telling him that quiz shows were a form of entertainment, just like a scripted drama, and that fixing the outcome was a common practice in the industry. That was certainly true, but of course, it didn't make it right. The irony was that Charles Van Doren didn't need to pretend to be an academic. He really was one, and so was the rest of his family. His father was a renowned scholar and Pulitzer Prize-winning poet. His mother was an accomplished writer and novelist, and his uncle was a distinguished historian who had written a well-received biography of Benjamin Franklin. As for Van Doren himself, he was a polymath, having earned a master's degree in mathematics and a doctorate in English. In fact, he was working as an English professor at Columbia University, his alma mater, when he agreed to appear on 21. The fact that he was a tall, lanky, but still telegenic professor is what attracted the producers to him in the first place. He looked like someone who would really know the answers to their questions, and in many cases, he probably did. But the producers weren't willing to take that chance. 
they didn't want to risk losing such a bankable star by accidentally stumping him too soon, so they made sure he knew the answers before the cameras began to roll. At first, producers maximized the tension by scripting a few ties between Van Doren and the then reigning champion, Herb Stemple. Then, on December 5th, 1956, it was finally Professor Van Doren's time to shine. He unseated Stemple that evening by rattling off the answers to ridiculously obscure questions, such as name the second, third, fourth, and fifth wives of Henry VIII, and describe their fates. With a hot new champion, the show's ratings immediately began to rise. Van Doren went on a winning streak for the next four months, vanquishing 13 competitors and earning a staggering $129,000 along the way, the equivalent of well over $1.2 million today. Sometimes Van Doren gave wrong answers on purpose, just to make the show seem more real, but by the end of each episode, his score was inevitably the highest. Eventually, though, even the unbeatable Van Doren began to lose his luster. It was time for him to take a dive, just as Stemple had before him. And the woman chosen to be his undoing was a New York lawyer named Vivian Nearing. She and Van Doren squared off for several evenings, with each match ending in a tie, the same act the producers had used when setting Van Doren up for his eventual victory. Finally, during their fourth contest, Nearing beat Van Doren when he intentionally misnamed the King of Belgium. By the time of his defeat, Van Doren was the best-known game show contestant in history. So while his quiz show reign had ended, his national fame did not. In April of that year, he signed a lucrative three-year contract with NBC to come on as a commentator and recurring guest on their most popular shows. However, those golden days wouldn't last long. By the following year, rumors of game show rigging had captured the public's attention, with several former contestants of shows like Tic-Tac-Doe and High-Low willing to speak on record. Congress quickly stepped in to investigate the claims. Grand juries were formed, and the House Committee on Interstate and Foreign Commerce began holding hearings not long after. 21 came under fire when former contestant James Snodgrass provided the committee with hard evidence the show had been fixed. He handed over registered letters from the show's producers that contained all the questions and correct answers for each episode he appeared on. When the scandal broke in 1959, Van Doren insisted he was innocent and had never received answers in advance. He repeated that lie in front of a grand jury, and even tried to spin the controversy as a judgment on viewers. He told the press, quote, It's silly and distressing to think that people don't have more faith in quiz shows. Van Doren went to such great lengths to assert his innocence that he actually volunteered to testify in front of Congress. He eventually did so on November 2nd, 1959, but by then, all the public scrutiny had taken its toll. Reading from a prepared statement, the visibly shaken professor finally decided to tell the truth. His confession began, quote, I would give almost anything I have to reverse the course of my life in the last three years. He went on to say, I was involved, deeply involved, in a deception. I have deceived my friends, and I had millions of them. 
Over the course of the next 90 minutes, Van Doren recounted his early meetings with the show's producers and explained how Albert Friedman had convinced him to go along with the rigging. Van Doren said that what had really persuaded him was the idea that his success would encourage young viewers to pursue knowledge in their own lives. I was almost able to convince myself, he said, that it did not matter what I was doing because it was having such a good effect on the national attitude to teachers, education, and the intellectual life. But I realized that I was really giving a wrong impression of education. True education does not mean the knowledge of facts exclusively. I wrote articles trying to express this feeling, but few were interested. Instead, I was referred to as a quiz whiz, a human book of knowledge, a walking encyclopedia. I wanted to be a writer and a teacher of literature. I seemed to be moving farther and farther away from that aim. In light of his confession, NBC ended its contract with Van Doren, and he tendered his resignation at Columbia University shortly after. In 1962, Van Doren and a host of other game show contestants pled guilty to lying to a grand jury that had investigated the quiz show scandal. Their sentences were suspended, however, because the judge felt that being shamed in front of the nation was punishment enough. Almost all of the quiz shows had been pulled off the air by that point, and most of the producers involved were fired and unofficially blacklisted. For many years afterward, Charles Van Doren wrote several fiction and non-fiction books under a pen name. He also joined the editorial staff of Encyclopedia Britannica, and later returned to teaching as an English professor at the University of Connecticut. He and his family lived in semi-seclusion for several decades, refusing interviews and declining to participate in a movie version of the scandal made in the early 1990s. At the press conference following his testimony in 1959, Van Doren said that he had been, quote, living in dread for almost three years. His confession likely helped ease that burden, at least at the time. But as the years went by, Van Doren found it difficult to put his rocky past behind him. In 2008, he provided his first public comment in years, at the age of 82, when he wrote a lengthy first-person essay for The New Yorker. There's nothing revelatory about his account, but it is a sobering reminder of how past misdeeds can sometimes linger long into the future, affecting us and the way we're seen by others in ways we never would have guessed. Van Doren reflected on that harsh truth himself, writing, quote, People say, aren't you Charles Van Doren? Well, that's my name, I say to myself, but I'm not who you think I am, or at least, I don't want to be. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can always send them my way at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thanks to you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.